Um, is that the final countdown or is it the NFL? He always countdown. mixes up the songs. <laughs> Let's go. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Well, good golly, Miss Molly. It is this week in social justice. Back at it, live and direct, all up in that computer screen. It's man, many faces rocking with you. Uh, one time for your mind. This week in social justice presented by the Newsbeat Podcast. The Newsbeat Podcast mixes social justice journalism, interviews with experts and ad- activists and analysts and journalists and super dope people and people fighting the good fight against injustice, as well as people who are facing or victims of those injustices uh, and mixes it with music and very often original hip hop lyrical contributions from incredible independent artists. Uh, my name is Manny Faces. I am the conductor of this out of control train wreck. Uh, and I'm joined as always by my I good friends. Starship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> by my good friends uh, and colleagues, Mr. Rashed Mian, managing editor of both Newsbeat and This Week in Social Justice. Hello, sir. Hey, yo, hey, yo. And the incomparable Mr. Chris Tawarski, uh, the editor-in-chief of both of the aforementioned uh, media properties. How are you, brother? What's up, Manny? What's up, Rashad? Stoked to be here. Yes, indeed. Uh, Newsbeat Nation on the line. 100%. So we're here uh, every, every Wednesday for the most part, except when- yeah, I, guess, I guess I should apologize because my, what they say in corporate world, PTO, mm. I guess screwed up with the schedule last week. and. You guys obviously didn't want to do a show without me, so I really appreciate that. No, we did a show without. You don't want to I, leave me. Oh, you did. No, <laughs> you didn't see it yet. Wait, no one, no one told me. It was the most watched. I got people writing in from across the highest rated it show <laughs> since they election night. They That's want mugs. It. They were like, "Now <laughs> we like this show." God, they posters. Uh, Obama called. Look, I'm all in for whatever leads to success. Well, uh, so if have, you need me to take more days off, I will gladly do it. No, we need you here. Actually, no. we need you. To, we would not do it without you. We need you to put sixteen-hour days in to help us get caught up. Uh, so get to it. Um, happy anniversary to you and the missus. I hope your uh, oh, thank you. Your Appreciate entire that. trip was uh, lovely and refreshing and recharging, as you now are, as they say in the nineties, uh, back to life, back to reality. Um, so. What's happening here? If you're watching, salute to you. Shout us out in the comment section of whatever thing you're uh, – I actually like Slack because I don't really look here, guys. But whatever. Um, whatever comment section you are uh, watching us, say hi. Uh, throw some questions, comments. Uh, we will be discussing some topics of interest uh, that are of interest to regular citizens. But particularly if you're concerned about social justice issues, uh, we tend to cover things that you might not hear about so much in the press or the media, or there actually are some media outlets that are very much covering some of the issues that we talk about. So we introduce those concepts and ideas and, and things that are happening so that you can go down the rabbit hole yourself. Um, I think it's a fair way to, to describe what we do here. Um, a little bit different than some of your other, uh, you know, TV shows uh, and podcasts. We are a podcast, Newsbeat the Podcast. Once again, the 2021 pod, Journalism Podcast of the Year, Press Club of New York, New York Press Club, uh, anointed right. us. We beat uh, the New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal. I don't know if you've heard of these places, um, these outlets. Uh, Wait, aren't they the ones with the multi, 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 multi million dollar budgets and all the uh, billionaire owners? 
Uh, they are. So, and, yes. And, and the armies of reporters, right? That they, armies. Could, that they could assign to cover some of these things. Isn't 100%. That it, it, I think those are the places. Yeah, WNYC, I think an NPR affiliate uh, that has yeah. you know just a, a, an entire national network. Uh, and we beat them. We're better than them. So you want to get some news. You want to get it, um, you know, kind of uh, better than some of the other places. We're the ones. Now, what we do here on this show, once again, is we tell you some things that we uh, have come across uh, in the past week or so that have been happening around the world and around the nation that pertain to social justice issues. Uh, we are originally from Long Island, New York. Um, Rashad, you're kicking us off for our news beat news bites, and uh, we will be keeping it uh, a little bit local today. Let's play the thing that looks like this. Tell me about this story. Yeah. So as you said, this is a local story, but I think it speaks to a lot of the issues that we have discussed on this show and on the podcast a lot, especially recently. And that's the role of district attorneys and the immense power that they have and control over a lot of people's lives and the people who go through the criminal justice system. Here we have a guy, a former Suffolk County Executive, uh, former Suffolk County District Attorney Thomas Boda. Suffolk County is out on Long Island. And he was sentenced this week to five years in prison. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm sure some national outlets have reported on this just because it's like one of those crazy stories, probably made for, you know, a podcast or something like that. But it's wild. And essentially, he helped cover up a police beating of a suspect while that person was in a jail at a police precinct. And uh, it's a long running story that has to deal with a lot of stuff. Maybe Chris might want to get into some of that when I'm done here. But, uh, but basically what I, the point that I want to get across is it just shows the, this guy who was, who was DA for about 15 years was potentially, I would say, I think Chris might agree, probably the most powerful politician in that specific county, he was probably the most feared. And this is another thing that we've come across when we've covered DAs and prosecutors right. in our coverage is the fact that these guys have long um, served for basically forever, it seems like, because there's right. nobody that wants to challenge them. And right. also because they end up being cross endorsed by multiple parties. So the Democratic Party w- would endorse him. The Republicans would endorse him. He right. consolidated so much political power that he was able to stay in this office for so long on, on, until he was indicted and eventually sentenced. And Chris, if, if do you want to give a little bit yeah, more yeah, background sure. into this I story? Absolutely, I'd absolutely love to. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, a crazy so, I mean, story and it obviously has ties yeah. to social justice issues. So please. Yeah. And to Rashad's point, um, you know, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in the show tonight about mm-hmm. uh, flaws and discrimination throughout the jury selection process and prosecutors, uh, overall in the United States, how I think it's over 95% of prosecutors and most judges are white. Um, and, you know, it, it feeds into this, this, this cycle of discrimination we, we'll be talking uh, a little bit about later. Um, uh, but this, this guy in particular, um, uh, it's hard to quantify this guy's power. Um, you know, I want the word, you know, dictator or authoritarian came to mind, but really he was sort of a, uh, Really, just like a, a, a you know a kingmaker, a czar. Uh, he controlled everything out there. Um, for those of you who don't know, you know Suffolk County, as Rashad said, it is the easternmost tip of Long Island. It is the easternmost county in New York State. 
It's also one of the most populous. It has a population of 1.7 million. That combined with Nassau County, its neighboring county, uh, collectively have a population, I think it's over 19 or 20 different states uh, mm. combined. Yeah. It's about um, 3 million, right? Yeah. So, um, but he, he wielded an enormous amount of power and it's sort of a, a cut off county. It's, it's very remote. And, you know, out here on Long Island, there's, there's really only one daily newspaper, Newsday. And Rochette and I at the time and, and Manny as well, uh, worked at an, at an alt weekly. And we would dig into this guy. We would dig into, into some of the corruption. Nassau and County are historically cesspools of corruption. Uh, ongoing and, and, and throughout to this day. But yeah, the, this guy just got nailed for basically covering for the then the former police chief, this guy, James Burke, who we could we could spend seasons and, and maybe we will. Yeah. I don't know. Who was uh, also about, indicted and, about this and guy who was also indicted. Pled guilty. But basically, in a nutshell, you know, there was a there was a 24 year old uh, uh, guy by the name of Christopher Loeb, who was who was robbing cars near train stations. And he, he found a car. He, he stole the duffel bag. He gets home. He opens it up. Oh my God. What's in there? There's a gun. There's sex toys. The sex alley. Toys. Wait, 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 wait. Go on. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, he claims there were also bestiality tapes in there. Perhaps oh wait, hold a, on. Never mind now. Perhaps, <laughs> we, perhaps a, we didn't perhaps we didn't pregame that. No, the joke is over. Allegedly, perhaps a snuff film. Now this is remember the the, the duffel bag of the police chief, who is this yeah, guy's Chris, boy. That was a police issued weapon, right? That was a police issued handgun. It this guy right here, who you're looking at, Spoda. That was his boy. These guys were like this. It's incredible. It's, I mean, again, we could spend a lot of time talking about their relationship and, and what went on and, and all that. But basically, he just got sentenced for covering for that guy because when, when that guy went back to his car, when the, when the police commissioner went back to his car and realized that his duffel bag with all his sex was missing, he called units. Right. You got to find this bag. Wow. Of course, he didn't tell anybody what the bag was. They did a, what, what, if I, my memory is correct, he did a pre dawn raid of this guy's house. He lived in his mom's basement. Yeah, I think they went into the basement, right, and got he the duffel was, bag. He was one of the first in there. He grabbed his bag. Which he shouldn't have been because he was the alleged right. victim. He takes he takes the bag. He 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 tells him bring him down to the station. They get him to the station. They chain this guy to an eye bolt in the floor. Right. And him and two two other his boys are in there. He rolls up his sleeves allegedly and says, "Oh, I missed this," or something like that. You know. Yeah. And it just starts wailing, beating the hell out of this 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 heroin addict. They 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 uh they joked that they were going to give him a hot shot, and put him out of Which his Which is like basically a lethal overdose, right? A lethal overdose. Um, wow. You know, he 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 gets his boys in the room to cover it up. This guy covers it up, and now it's all it's all coming down. But um, that's just one small uh, little episode with with this guy Spoda. He had right. secret interrogation rooms where he would just uh, allegedly take people and and just force them to do whatever he wanted. In fact, the, the sitting county executive back in the day this guy named steve levy uh had switched parties uh to run for governor and amassed a multi-million dollar war chest all of a sudden he's stepping down he's giving up his war chest he's he's gonna he's not gonna run whatever well what happened this guy got to him and it, mm-hmm. and, it, and so we put it on a cover and it, we we called it the countdown since the coup because there was no legal explanation as to what what went on 
And we called out Newsday. We called out the other media outlets that weren't doing anything on it. And so what did this guy did? He told one of our reporters to tell our publisher to go F himself. He could go F himself. That's, the, that's this guy right here. Wow. He's, now, he's now going away. But, yeah. but anyway, it just speaks, as Rashad said, and the reason why I want to bring it up in a social justice context, it speaks to the enormous, enormous power these prosecutors yep. wield, even outside the courtroom, as I just, as I just right. uh, outlined. <clears throat> That's why we cannot stress enough every time we talk about this. Know who your prosecutor is. Make it's sure a, people are involved. So there's people that run against this person. Otherwise, they have a blank slate. A blank check to do whatever they want. They feel it's an elected position. You know, I, yeah. I I know that a lot of people. You know, obviously focus on you know maybe the mayor in your town or your city or your you know municipality. Uh, obviously, we everyone pays attention during a presidential election year. I don't know DAs like how it works. Is it every six years, every four years, whatever? It varies, it yeah, it varies. Right, but it's really one of the most important. If, you, if you're concerned about criminal justice reform, it's really the most. I think the most critical elected position to enact change. Now we've done some stories on criminal justice um, uh, prosecutors, right? Reform um, prosecutors. Reform, thank and you. The movement. Reform, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So there is a movement, as you just said, uh, to uh, bring awareness to the to the fact. Yeah, that I think that's right. Yeah, justice, bring awareness. Yes, yeah, whoever you elect for president isn't going to fix mass incarceration on a local yeah. level. However, a lot can be done. And what are yeah. some of the things? Just real quick, some of the things that reform prosecutors tend to do: expunging uh, records for you know low level. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean uh, they also have control. I mean, at the very least, they have control of what can be basically prosecuted, what cannot be prosecuted. Right. You know, so some will lessen you know marijuana charges. They might not try to prosecute marijuana charges. They'll also seek to not um, enforce bail because they don't see bail as um, effective in in policing uh, the criminal justice system. There's so many things that they could do, even just sentencing guidelines, right, right. that they have where, they could, where you could just do enforce mandatory sentences on people and make them uh, stay in prison longer than they should. There's just so much power that they have. And the, the, the word that you, you said, awareness is, I think, the key here to try to um, educate people in terms of what they do and make sure that there's always somebody that's challenging these people, these, these entrenched politicians, because for, as, as with this guy, 15 years, some guys will be district attorneys for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that in, uh, I want to say St. Louis, where Wesley, um, Wesley Bell, I want to say, um, a couple of years ago became, uh, actually challenged that person in a primary and won. So you're going to have people in there for decades. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, and that's the, the takeaway of this, yep. of this, uh, news bite. And that there were sex toys. Yeah. I mean, basically yeah. this guy was, was, <laughs> you know, he was bending the law to do, uh, his own agenda. I mean, it's, you know, well, we've seen this, obviously now this sort of, there are corrupt DAs that, you know, pop up all over the place. Wasn't it, he wasn't, I guess he was mayor at the time with Giuliani. Didn't he have something where he was sending someone to follow his, was it a Nassau thing? So, someone- so that's the same, that's the same crew that the, the, the same crew, the police chief after he uh, allegedly, you know, if my memory is correct, but he, you know, after, after he beat the hell out of this kid and he, and he, and he, and he basically told everyone to shut their mouths and was trying right. to do a massacre because the, the FBI at one point was involved. Um, you know, this is yeah, all in the context. This is all in the context too, of the discovery of over a dozen um, murdered uh, prostitutes and uh, and others found in a mass grave 
out in Gilgo right. Beach right. Um, while this guy was was police chief and right. while this guy was the DA. So this is just some of the background. There's a lot of stuff happening in Suffolk County. Um, but again, to your point, the, the, the fact that the DA, uh, as corrupt as he was, uh, first of all, has now uh, been sentenced. How many, how, how many years? Five, how many? He's going to get five years, which is, five I think, years. significant for an 80-year-old man. So I mean, you know, for any, for any district attorney to get uh, indicted and, and sentenced. Yeah, you don't see that. Right. Yeah. So it is something to keep in mind. Again, we talk about criminal justice reform. You hear about it all the time. You see it on the cable news, but very, but not very often do they remind you. It really starts at a local level, your local district attorney, and that is an elected position that you can uh, take part in that, you know, in that, in that process. Um, I don't know if you could run for a district attorney. You probably got to be a lawyer or something. It'd help. I, I guess mean, you could be anything nowadays. You never know. You know, you could be a, a high school basketball coach, uh, you know, <laughs> or, or football coach and become a congressman. All right. So that was your news beat news bite, a long one, but an interesting one. Uh, check out that um, if you're if you're into that. But do check out our episodes that focus on district attorneys uh, being sort of the, the change makers in the criminal justice system. It's pretty important. My news beat news bite for today. I don't have a I do have a thing to show. I'm going to show it. Um, this is interesting that we're doing a show today uh, on August 11th. Uh, today is the unofficial birthday of hip hop. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. That's incredible. Indeed. So uh, the deal with this is that uh, legend has it, and I'm showing you the, uh, I'm showing our viewers the, uh, the, uh, flyer, the hand-drawn flyer, that on August 11th, 1973, Cindy Campbell, a uh, young woman from the Bronx, uh, decided to have a back-to-school jam in the community center in their apartment building in the Bronx at 1520 Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx, in the recreation room, right? The rec room of the building. Uh, it was to be DJed by her brother, uh, who, go, who went by the name of Cool Herc. Uh, who has now become uh, sort of monikered as the godfather of hip hop. Uh, it was right around, it was August 11th, 1973. Uh, so uh, 48 years ago. Uh, and that party was so, and Cool Herc's involvement in the explosion of the music and the culture in the Bronx uh, at the time, uh, sort of a, it's not the only thing. It's not, a, there was no flashpoint for hip hop music and culture. It was certainly, a, you know, a lot of things happening and a lot of people involved. Uh, but this has sort of become the, you know, if you have to pick a date <laughs> when hip hop began, uh, it's often pointed to at this date. So much so uh, that the uh, Senate wow. of the United States of America there you go. actually came together and by unanimous consent passed Senate Resolution 331, a resolution designating August 11th, 2021 as Hip Hop Celebration Day, designating August 21st as Hip Hop Recognition Month. And November 2021 is Hip Hop History Month. Uh, now, advocates for hip hop music and culture, like myself, uh, have always pointed to the need for hip hop to be recognized and respected as not only the art form that it is, but the culture that uh, it is a part of. Uh, it. The reason why I mention this specifically, obviously, Newsbeat does a lot with hip hop as a uh, integral part of how we tell stories, uh, a uh, vehicle by which we conduct journalism uh, and a very unique, compelling, award-winning combination thereof. Uh, but let's not forget that uh, hip-hop has always been uh, a, uh, a social justice-oriented art form. It was birthed from uh, black and brown kids in South Bronx. 
uh, New York during a time when the city the city was uh, uh, treating that area very badly. Uh, it was born. A lot of people will say uh, hip hop was something from nothing, literally born from the rubble of New York City. I like to say it was something from something. It was really a an amalgamation of uh, styles, uh, previous generations of music and art and fashion and language and culture, all kind of bubbling up into now what is a worldwide phenomenon that to this day still has very, very important, very, very deep uh social justice oriented uh, dna uh, so despite the fact that you might think uh you know hip-hop is merely a form of entertainment uh a genre of music as it were and maybe if you're of a certain age or a certain disposition you might think that it's gone down the tubes straight straight down the toilet today's hip-hop is horrible i will remind you and promise you and i could talk your ear off about it you can hit me offline uh that there is a great deal of work that is hip hop at its core that is directly affecting humanity in positive ways with a social justice core. I promise you we do it at Newsbeat. We sprinkle it in to this week in social justice. Uh, but don't think for a minute that hip hop, uh, isn't still one of, uh, uh, one of humanity's strongest weapons against injustice. So happy birthday, hip hop. I do want a disclaimer, uh, it's just an arbitrary. It's not arbitrary. It means something to a lot of people. Not everyone in hip hop history, pioneers, you know, people kind of were there at the beginning. Not everyone likes to point to this date. I just want to point that out. Mm. Uh, let's respect the people who say, hey, listen, you know, we were kind of doing hip hop over here, a little bit different time frame. That shouldn't be the one date. So there's a little bit of that happening. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, regardless of what date or what year you might pick, uh, Shout out to hip hop, music and culture for being a uh, driving force uh, for not only people's, um, again, fighting injustice, but, you know, peace, love, unity and having fun. The pillars of hip hop. Can't be mad at that. So shouts to hip hop. It's, it's done a lot for me personally. I love hip hop. My well, I also, en I also endorse 50 cent admission fees for men. Right. Right. And, 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 and only 25 cents for women because, right. you know more ladies the better i don't know because you know dudes like you know how it is when the club when you go to club there's mad, mad dudes sometimes like it's nice to have a, an assortment of, of folks so you entice them by you know charging them less uh a classic move back in the 70s uh and to this day all right cool that's it hip-hop shouts Happy awesome, birthday, hip -hop. what do you got for us chris what's your news beat news bite so my news beat news bite is a continuation of a topic that we've been covering about the residential schools in Canada. And also, you know, as we've mentioned, there, there were in other places too, as well as the United States. We'll talk more about that at some other, at some other time. Yep. Um, but this, so, so just a quick, quick little backstory here, just for the, for the folks who might be listening or watching who, who uh, hadn't caught uh, some of our previous coverage. Um, you know, for over a hundred years, uh, Canada um, and various religious denominations, mostly the Catholic Church, ran these quote-unquote residential schools. And how they populated these schools were they stole, they kidnapped, they took the children, indigenous children, from their families against their will, and they put them in these schools. They cut their hair. They gave them either a, a, a Catholic name or a number. And they tortured these kids. There's mass sexual abuse, 
thousands of these children never made it home. And just recently, in the past couple months, there's been over 1,500 unmarked graves of these children that have been found. And those were only at three of the schools. There were over 100 schools. So that's the backstory. Right. Well, the news story here that I'm, that I'm uh, highlighting is this pressure. Uh, the headline reads, and this is a Guardian piece, Canada pressure on Catholic Church to compensate victims of residential schools abuses. So in 2006, there was a court case um, where all the parties came together and they agreed on compensation. And the Catholic Church was supposed to pay $29 million if you could put a price tag on, on uh, you know, thousands of children's lives. But they were, they were, they were, they agreed to pay $29 million to programs directly benefiting survivors. Well, it turns out, here we are in 2021, uh, very little has been paid out. All the other denominations, the Anglicans, the United and Presbyterian churches, all fully paid. Catholic Church has not. And they claim that they, are, they have, uh, they're, they're claiming it, it's due to uh, low fundraising. They, they can't get the money. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that the local media in Canada Again, the importance and the power of, of local media. Right. Uh, they dug through the records and they discovered, oh, Catholic Church is sitting on almost $4 billion mm. in assets. Mm. And since the time that they said they were going to pay the $29 million and they didn't, <laughs> they, they raised over $300 million for new churches and these beautiful cathedrals. $300 million mm. for cathedrals well, that's and important. new churches. That's important. You know? Instead of giving the $29 million to the children that they tortured and sexually abused and thousands of these children ended up in graves that are still being dug out of the ground. Um, so well, as much I'm, pressure I'm, as the show can put on the Catholic Church in Canada <laughs> and, you know, in previous incarnations, we had a little thing called the pink slip. I'm not going to get into it now, but right. strangely, we would write names in the pink slip. Next day, impeached. Uh, you know, country invaded. But well, um, <laughs> but just just country bringing invaded. attention to this. I mean, it is it is it is, it is beyond shameful. Yep. The Catholic Church preaches, um, you know, love and peace and and care and reconciliation. All these things they have done nothing, and it turns out they're sitting on billions of dollars, and they've spent hundreds of million dollars since this time. They were supposed to be paying this stuff, and they bought themselves all their all their new all their new buildings and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's absolutely uh, yeah. beyond disgusting. Yeah. Well, thanks. Listen, thanks for keeping us up on it. Uh, there is, uh, uh, you know, we tend to be focused domestically. Uh, we focus on this issue because it's not talked about domestically enough, uh, even though it happened in Canada. Uh, but if you think that it's just Canada that was doing this, you're, yeah. you're mistaken. And we will get into that yeah. as well. Thank you, Chris, for staying on top of that. Uh, I don't know if we have any pressure can you know exert any pressure on the on the Catholic Church, um, but we can always appeal to a higher power. Perfect. Oh, I thought you. Placement. Perfect. I thought you were going to say the algor- algorithm God. Perfect. We need that higher power. It's perfect perfect as well. Right. All right, gentlemen. Thank you for those newsbeat news bites. We went long because they were important and detailed, and uh, we love to talk about these things and spread some. Uh, Knowledge I mean, about yeah. them. We got we got sex toys in the Catholic Church in news bites. <laughs> this guy is it's good. It's a good point. It's, it's a pretty good point. Um <laughs>
That's not. <laughs> I told you what else was in James Burke's duffel bag. I told right, you what else right. he had. Right. In uh, there. All right, you're right, you're right. Okay. He was the police chief. <laughs> the brakes on. Okay. So listen, uh, quick reset of the room, as they say in Clubhouse. Uh, you're listening to or watching this week in social justice. Uh, those are our newsbeat news bites, small tidbits of information that you might not know about. Again, uh, remember your local DA elections are super important for the cause. Uh, remember that the um, that hip hop is still a very viable uh, tool in the fight against injustice. And remember that the residential school drama in Canada and the Catholic Church involvement is unresolved to this point, and that's something you should know about uh, if you care about people uh, in the world. Now, uh, again, if you're watching this, we are a podcast. Go check out Newsbeat on your podcast feed. We have this, but we also have our full deep episodes covering social justice issues, the award-winning show that we are. Uh, we do that, and we do it well, and you will learn uh, even more than you're learning tonight, potentially. Uh, we'll be back with new episodes soon. Got some really interesting topics uh, coming up. So if you're already listening to us and you know who we are about those other things, uh, it's not just this week in social justice. We got some things coming up. So moving along. Uh, I think we're going to go into the burning world. Yeah. Yeah. The world is on fire. um, And we've heard this before, but something just happened. And we've covered sort of the intersection of uh, climate justice and, you know, environmental justice. Uh, we should say. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about it. Yeah, let's do it. So I think um, there's a good chance we always blast the mainstream media for not covering news, but I can't imagine that this hasn't. Well, at least on Monday, didn't have some sort of wall-to-wall coverage, especially on cable news. Yep. Uh, so on Monday, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is um, convened by the United Nations, uh, basically they came out with the most, I guess, sobering and uh, frightening um, report ever on climate change. Um, basically, this headline right here says, major climate change is inevitable and irreversible. So the things that people have been talking about for so many years, um, that we need to get ahead of this so we can you know, save our future for our kids, our grandkids, and protect the earth. Right. Well, that looks unlikely, unfortunately. I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk in these, in these, you know, Right. Absolutist terms, but um, things are getting worse. And that's that's basically made clear by the fact that I don't know, like people, this is very science wonky, but if people obviously have heard of the Paris Climate Accords, and that was back in Obama's days where all these countries came together to come up with a climate resolution that was non-binding, but um, helpful nonetheless. And they want to prevent warming to go up to two degrees Celsius, which is sort of this barometer of when things could get really bad. Right. Well, uh, some of the countries said, hey, we yeah, two degrees Celsius is good, but we would like to keep it at 1.5 degrees Celsius because that's when you even see what they call execu- um, um, uh, just horrific events where species um, no longer ex- exist due to climate change. Well, this report is saying 1.5 Celsius, regardless of what we do, the best case scenario is 1.5 degrees Celsius, Mm. which means the world is going to keep heating up. We're going to see more ferocious storms, more more, uh, heavy flooding. Um, Hurricanes have been on the rise. Uh, Heat waves are hotter and longer in duration in recent years than they've ever been. Mm. Um, And I mentioned those two things, heat waves and flooding, because they have a uh, connection to what Manny just talked about, environmental 
justice. Uh, you've probably heard us talk about, we had um, uh, an expert on a couple of shows ago talking about the impact that he has had on places and cities that were previously redlined. Those are the communities that were kept out of um, basically, you know, stuck in these places because the of racist housing policies. And those because of that, those places are hotter. And we've seen that happen in Seattle, um, in Portland recently. And uh, and that expert went around recently and he found some places were up to over 125 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Heating obviously is deadly. We know that the recent heat waves were connected to hundreds of deaths of people, right. and that's often underreported. Flooding is also a major issue, and that's something that's that's talked about in this report. There, um, there was a study that came out by all things Redfin, which I think is like a, a real estate organization, but yeah. it found that places that were historically redlined, similar to extreme heat are seeing greater um, flooding. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, this is 25%, there's 25% more flooding in redline communities than non-redline communities. Mm -hmm. So these places are not, ex not uh, only experiencing oppressive extreme heat. Right. Um, they're also, they can also succumb to these, these, these heavy flooding events. And I think one example that we can all point to, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but Hurricane Harvey hit, uh, Texas in 2017. Right. And, you know, there was a lot of coverage, obviously, as there always was that, is. That Houston, Houston got flooded. Yeah. Was the it, Houston yeah. area. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's always a lot of coverage for this. Um, but then when the water recedes and people are rebuilding their lives, the media often disappears. And what researchers found, um, surveying people a year later was that black communities and impoverished communities were, um, disproportionately impacted by the flooding. Um, though, so in what the report said that black residents and those living in one of the hardest hit areas were more likely than others to report declines in their financial situation. So on top of the damage to their homes, right. they were financially decimated. Um, and it also said that among those affected by the storm, six in 10 black residents, half of those living in this area and half of those, um, with self-reported incomes below 200% of the federal poverty level say they weren't getting the help that they needed. So there's obviously, we, you know, we can all feel climate change. Um, I think even now, even today, I think there was 150 million Americans impacted by um, heat advisories in this country. Right. Um, but more people are suffering than even us. And I think that's why it's so, so important um, for the world to obviously address this issue um, because the people who are, less responsible for climate change. Right. Um, the people, the citizens of certain countries, but especially the less developed nations that have not contributed to greenhouse gas emissions, like developed nations like United States have, are going to feel the brunt of this. And I think that's the connection that's often missing when we're talking about um, climate and global warming. And I hope that's something that we could keep uh, covering on this, on this show to, to raise awareness because it, it's a significant issue. If you want to keep covering it, we keep covering it. I'll tell you one thing. It sounds like what you're saying is uh, we should be not so selfish so that we can protect our future generations, our children's and our children's children's and other, you know, less well-off countries in the world. And uh, and it's, uh, this all has to do with science. And I, I'm just a little concerned because recently 
I've seen a lot of uh, science recommendations that would make us seem less selfish to protect our children and other people. Uh, and we're not doing that. Yeah. We're not doing that with the vaccines and the masking and all the things. So I'm very concerned about this because it seems that's something you could see. You could, I know people that went to the hospital for COVID, you know, we're not, we don't see the effects of climate change like that unless you're looking at it on a macro level and most people aren't. So yeah, I, I mean, we have the Dixie fire that's been burning for weeks. I think yeah. it's the second largest uh, wildfire in California state history. Yeah. And is that getting like, that doesn't get wall to wall coverage. Imagine no. if a hurricane lasted like five days over a particular state. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that'd be nonstop. It'd be insane. People would be going, people would be donating. There would be these events right. on TV, these, these right. drives on TV to help right. people. Right. Um, but I think you, what you said is like, we don't see it, yeah. uh, but this report makes clear, not only is it here, but the, uh, um, some of the worst effects are going to happen no matter if we actually step up our game and, and resolve these issues, and regardless of Joe Manchin uh, <laughs> trying to stop uh, a reconciliation package that will actually help fight this battle. This 1.5 degrees Celsius is going to happen no matter what. Well, I just, I just want to underscore, uh, Rashad, something that you said, that the least people responsible are the right. ones who yeah. are going to bear the brunt. And you know, we've done previous coverage and, and, you know, let's just spell it out. It's, it's low income communities. Right. It's, it's, um, you know, it's communities it's of color, communities of color. Yep. indigenous communities. Yep. We spoke with an indigenous, a member of an indigenous motorcycle gang in one of our episodes um, right. group in our, in one of our episodes. And, you know, this report, you know, I just want to emphasize here though, it is like, it needs to stop now. Like, th th like if anything, like let this report, scared the living hell out of you to contact your, your elected representatives and demand, you know, all these things, you know, stop fossil fuels, you know, you know, uh, you know, build the grid, you know, uh, you know, all, all the things that you hear about, but, but this is, should be the final warning bell for people to wake the hell up about this. I mean, as Richard said, we're in the middle of these large, the large Dixie fire out there, here, just here where we are today was, uh, I think it was 96 or something. The real food was like 106 or something like that. Um, but, you know, I just want to, I just want to inject a little bit of hope in this and that for me, you know, the, 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 the first thing on, uh, I, I was trying to dig into this report and it is massive. It's hundreds and hundreds of pages long. I think it's thousands uh, of pages. On yeah. Thousands of pages. On page 17, there's a, a, you know, helpful breakdown. We share, we'll share these links, but one of the first things they state that is it is, this is unequivocally because yeah. of humans and fossil fuels right? yeah and fossils yeah. because of that for me at least you know and trying to inject a little bit of hope here is like we can at least stop it you know stop it at the 1.5 degree increase as bad as that is and then you know put these put these reforms in place and maybe it'll it'll come back down but but the fact to me that when i read it is unequivocally humans that did this means it's unequivocally humans that can cut it out i'm gonna i'm gonna so. uh, i'm gonna uh, call you know how you doing poker i'm gonna call your hope and i'm gonna raise you some pessimism uh because this is what they've been saying for years yeah like it's not yeah. new information it's not decades ago they, no we know we know yeah. that it's not new but no but no no it, i'm not i'm not right. i'm not i'm not saying i'm that saying way. that the, i'm saying that unequivocally it's in this report the one of the biggest conclusions is that it is make, humans they denied it for you know years it is humans it's not gonna make a difference until 
uh, the Upper West Side is underwater. It's not going to make it. Uh, well, it also m- may make a difference if our uh, politicians grew a pair and said Exxon. Um, I don't care how much lobbying you do, or if the media actually, you know, instead of taking a few days to focus on that uh, cor- legalized corruption that happens in our halls of power, we right. saw it on videotape. The guy explained everything they do. He broke it down for us. It was like a, a class on on legalized corruption at Exxon. And I don't see any, you know, uh, stories after the fact about infrastructure, all that, um, talking about how Exxon killed the first uh, uh, infrastructure uh, deal mm. uh, because they wanted to stop um, the 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 tax cuts on these corporations. Right. So yeah, yeah, people. I think people, regular people, um, this needs to be beaten into their heads. And I think, you know, I think there's probably a lot more people that are worried about this than we think. I think it's uh, mostly obviously the politicians and the people who are taking money from their corporate donors um, that uh, we need to continue to to rage against. Yes. And that's the point. I mean, and to sort of counter the pessimism, to counter the hope um, is another little injection <laughs> of hope. It's just that you can't, you know, you can't give up the fight. Okay, this this crappy, you know, this report is horrific, obviously. Right. And, my, and my, yes, my, they've been screaming at it for decades. But you know what? You got to keep fighting. So we always talk about this on the show about what we're doing to. I know we're riffing right now, everybody. Listen, but we talk about like what the average person, the regular person, you know, quote unquote, the extraordinary regular person can do. Um, But Rashid, like what you just said, like money in politics is sort of at the base of the, yeah. the bad thing that's happening. So do we fight? And I'm just, you know, I'm just riffing. Do we fight? Do we call our Congress people or whatever and demand that, you know, you take a stand for climate change or do we go back to kind of the thing that makes that possible that makes an Exxon uh, have the, the ability yeah, by influence, yeah, right. By to buy influence. We do you know, both. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. I, think we, do, I know. Um, we should do both. And on top of that, you know what else we do? We run for freaking office. Hell yeah. We oh. run, we, we, we oust these people. Do you have, a, do you have an announcement to make? Put in, do, we, do we have an I announcement? I have an announcement to make. <laughs> Manny Faces oh. is going to run in Georgia. <laughs> now, um, maybe we do have announcements of, of this nature to make in the future, but right Every now, night. what I'm saying is yeah. that there are, there are other weapons then to uh, your yeah. point, Manny, just calling your, your, your yeah, I your think, I think uh, just the last point, cause I know Chris has an important topic to talk about, Yes, uh, but related to what you're saying, Manny, uh, I just think the media does such a bad job of explaining to people the power corporations have on our politics yeah. that um, if we focused on that more, if we focused on, if we actually identified every time uh, elect officials talking about a certain issue and the money in which the industry, they get that money from. Right. If we actually highlighted that, I think people would listen. Cause I think people hate that corruption. I, I mean, as corrupt as we know, Trump was, that was something that people were, uh, that appealed to them because they thought he was going to go after corruption. We, we know that was all BS, but, 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 right? Right. But I'm but saying he, people do hate well, that. Right. So you guys, I think it, it's also the media, you, guys both, to, you know, both you guys both have up. incredible points. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Totally. And I, I think, you know, Trump doing it in your face, but this is also a problem that the left has in general is mm-hmm. messaging and, and getting the message out and letting people know that, Hey, here's exactly what's happening. We're not going to uh, try to like, you know, be, sometimes we try to get too verbose on the left. 
with the with the messaging when it's really really simple and if they if you learn the tactics of the other side which is you know bumper sticker slogans you know what i mean real quick you know to, like you said beat you over the head with it then people might start getting it a little bit more than i think they do now so i i think there's a lot of work to be done um across the board so anyway but as we do we bring these to uh, these issues to the, to light so thank you uh, gentlemen as always for that so uh our second main topic of the night uh take it away yeah so i just uh, i really wanted to de- dedicate just a little bit of time to this incredible and extremely important report that just came out uh from the equal justice initiative um and um, a little bit about the Equal Justice Initiative. This is Brian Steven- Stevenson's group. And uh, we had on a previous show, we had on a board member, we had uh, uh, Catherine Coleman Flowers on to discuss, uh, you know, her fight uh, in Alabama, uh, trying to raise uh, awareness about just the lack of sanitation that, that certain communities have. Mm. And then they're, they're being jailed because of it. I mean, it goes on and on. But um, Equal Justice Initiative, I, I, you know, I will share these links, uh, eji.org, but everyone should check them out. They have also a museum and education center down there in Alabama on the site of a former uh, slave sale post, um, which is just, I mean, it's, it's hard to put in words how powerful and moving that, that is. And, and us as a team, we, we hope to go down there and interview uh, Mr. Stevenson and, and, and his team down there. But so just, just last week, they, they published a, a report um, called Race and the Jury. And, you know, in 2010, they, they had a similar uh, report. Um, this one expands upon it, and it just shows that nothing has changed. And, in fact, things have gotten worse. Uh, but it breaks down the jury process and really dismantles and highlights the discrimination that's, that's, that's just inherent within that fundamental right um, to, to serve on a jury of your peers and, and to be, um, you know, to be, to be, uh, to be tried by a jury of your peers. Um, and it raises much needed awareness that the process remains illegally segregated and flawed, even through today, despite decades of reforms um, and constitutionally enshrined rights against, right. against these things. Um, and um, I just want to read. Let me just see here. I'm just going to read uh, an opening statement from there, um, which reads: "Today, black people and other people of color are, are excluded from participating in our jury system at every step of the jury selection process. Mm-hmm. When the court creates lists of potential jurors, right. when potential jurors are notified to come to court, when judges decide which potential jurors are qualified to serve." And when prosecutors use per, peremptory strikes to remove potential jurors, and I want to circle back to that right. uh, in a minute, but um, you know we're gonna we're gonna share these links. We we at, you know we we we, uh, we suggest everyone uh, go and check it out. But I like to just talk a little bit about the importance of this report and what it entails. Um, and so, you know, just as just quick little backstory, you know, jury service empowers ordinary citizens to become, quote, instruments of public justice in their own communities. But since this country's founding, black folks have been excluded from jury service. And, you know, uh, there was a, a long, uh, you know, really shameful 
uh, history where the Supreme Court itself was ruling against uh, equal rights um, for uh, people of color. And, you know, the the laws, according to this report, you know, and I, I tried to read uh, the whole thing, you know, uh, and really study it and take it to heart. Um, but even the safeguards that are in place today are just not enough. They're just not enough. And it rarely gets, how often have you guys heard this subject uh, spoken about? You know, have you, have you ever seen this on the cover of a newspaper? Probably not. Yet it's one of the most important uh, and fundamental um, pieces of of our democracy. Um, and um, just want to break down one, one, uh, one segment here. Just give me one second. So, I mean, it goes down. So, so to the point that I brought up at the beginning that I didn't fully explain, right? So, so um, almost all our nation's judges are white. Um, over 95% of the prosecutors in this country are white. Yet yeah. more than 40% of our country are people of color, right. right? And in the judicial system, one of the most important tenets of it is that we have equal representation. And that is not happening. It is simply not happening. And this report, this investigation breaks it down, you mm -hmm. know, and let, let's just start with the selection of the jury. Well, I won't go through every single thing, but the first step in a jury selection process is the creation of a pool of potential jurors right. that is supposed to reflect the community's demographics. We all get jury duty. Everyone got to go to jury duty, right? Not, not everyone. all of us. Tell me more. All those. And so, and so, so right off the bat though. Right. So they're supposed, that's supposed to be randomly chosen. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's based on voter rolls. Right. Mm. And all of these things are, are, are flawed. All of these things, all of these things are disproportionate. Um, black people and non-white people are often underrepresented in jury pools and courts consistently tolerate this underrepresentation, even though the constitution requires the jurors be chosen from a quote, fair cross-section. Now, how does this happen? Um, you go down a list, and, and the report does a, a great job to do. I won't, I won't go through every single huge thing, but you start with, um, again, the voting rolls, uh, incomplete voting rolls. You, you hear in the news now, finally, a little bit about all the, all the uh, efforts to, to quash voting rights and, and you know, yeah, right. put the equivalent of poll taxes let me answer that. Uh, during the last couple of elections, you would hear stories of tens of thousands of people being removed from the purged. voter rolls, purged. Right now, in one, you know, on one hand, you're thinking, oh, that's them trying to get you to not vote. And mm. that could be part of it. But what you're saying now is not only that, not, not only, only that, that not right. only that. What does that do? They don't even get put in the hat to be pulled out for jury to right. jury. For jury right. now, even, you know, even making it hard to register to vote. Now, right. yeah, and and register to vote. Right. Now, now, jury is so a pain in the ass, but it's a it's a vital yeah. part of the system. And and if it's not representative, you're not going to get your peers on the jury if you are a person of color or from a low income or a minority community. Right. Yeah. Now, and and even some of the reforms that, that you hear about now, they're they're okay. Maybe some counties, some jurisdictions, they're going to start using driver's license lists to supplement voter okay. registration lists, but even Think about that. So th this report, just one of the quick little factoids I pulled out for tonight's show just to Incredible. emphasize this here. A 2005 study in Wisconsin found that while about 80% of white residents had driver's license, only about half of African-American and Latinx residents had them. 
Right. So right off the bat, boom, even doing that, right. you're still not going to get equal representation. Right. And so the system is still flawed. In many um, big cities, too. In, in, I, I, you know, as you as you all know, I lived in Newark, New Jersey for the past five years. I would bet that a majority of Newark, New Jersey residents, not a majority, but a, a good deal of them don't have driver's license. Mm-hmm. They have cool. maybe they have state IDs possibly, but the, you know, folks don't have cars. They're riding buses. They're riding public transportation. They don't have an actual driver's license. And as we all know, the efforts to make that more difficult for communities of color, uh, you know, abound. Great yeah. point. Great point. And you know, the the report makes a sobering assessment in the in this section here, and it just states in practice, the constitutional right to a representative jury pool is close to meaningless. Mm. Think about that close yeah. to meaningless and think about the ram because it's not just even the jury you know it's it's, it's somebody's on trial right you know and, it, and you know so it's you know so i just want to jump real quick to i know i'm a hop around a little bit but um no, it's this, fascinating whole, stuff. this whole Chris, stuff can i make about, a quick can i make a quick point to the, what you just said about 100 yeah, people on trial i mean i think uh, i'm so glad you brought this up because one of the things that is significant in this case is that Black men are many times more likely to be falsely convicted of murder in this country. Mm. And if there's a mostly white jury, um, that could happen. And black men are also most likely to be convicted of murder if the victim is a white person. Mm. You know, there's all these other parts and where this intersects with the criminal justice system. Um, it is it's just it's fascinating and, and sad at the same time. Great, great point. And, and, and to that point, it feeds that vicious cycle that we, we right. dedicate so much time on the podcast to highlighting that vicious cycle that feeds this, the world's largest prison state and this horrific crisis of mass incarceration. Um, so one last section I want to talk about, cause I do want to get, there's, there's other stuff I know we, we want to talk about on the show, but this whole, this whole read the chapters about the, the challenges. So, yeah. So even if someone makes it in, there are, there are challenges that the prosecutors, uh, can make to their, inc- you know, to, to exclude them, basically, sure. even if they make it there. And there's several layers, right? And so one of them is called, uh, lawyers can challenge potential jurors, quote, for cause. And judges have a wide discretion to grant or deny these challenges. Now, challenges for cause, result in the removal of people of color at disproportionately high rates. That's from the EJI report. Um, and they go on with, with stats and, and they break it all down. It's all backed up. Um, mm-hmm. But um, this, this, this one part to me was the most like mind uh, and just infuriating. Um, so pros- I'm just going to read prosecutors challenge potential jurors who acknowledge having been victimized by racial bias, experiencing racial discrimination, or having concerns about the reliability of the criminal legal system. They are being excluded simply for speaking the truth of their own experiences. Right. You're out. Right. You're out. And the, the, you can't possibly be a, a fair juror. If you have happened to have seen racism in your life, and, and you see, or, and or again, apparently, if you if you disagree with the OJ verdict, <laughs> oh really? I'm not even I'm not even joking. It's a thing in this report. Jesus, uh, it, you know. So so th- I mean, that to me though was just because, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. Chris, can I bring up a point that you uh, on yes. this? I yes. don't know if you're going to get to it, but um, when we were going through it, basically before the show, I set this one graph to you. 
which is astonishing. So we found out there's a report that some prosecutors are also like, there's like, they all go to like these retreats and they train each other on how to actually strike black people from the jury uh, process. And it, here's from the report in the 2016 edition of a prosecutor's training manual used in Santa Clara County, California, um, which provides a 30 page list of 77 jurisdictions that reviewing courts have deemed acceptable reasons for striking people of color include the prospective jurors, quote, clothing, hairstyle, or other, I don't know, I can't even read this word. I'm not even going to try it. But this was in 2016. And they're talking about people's hairstyle. How they're dressed and their hairstyle. That's cause. So that's cause. Yeah, that's cause yeah. to strike somebody. And and I think the other huge thing is this is all legalized discrimination, even though it's illegal. It's I mean, illegal. this is all illegal, illegal. but and it's in the legal system that's meant to judge people whether they've committed a crime fairly balance of scales justice the whole thing how twisted is that i mean you, you can't even you, you um, what, I, what, I I, what i love slash hate about this sort of report is that it you know like a lot of people would joke you'll see a, this, i bet you if you go to the i bet you if you go to where this was twittered from the equal justice initiative uh somebody responded we needed a study to tell us this right because <laughs> because you know you know that right the, right right you know that the jury system is biased you know that everything is biased but what is important is having the stats is having the study actually exist and this is a very in-depth very thorough look at this very fundamental uh you know exercise in supposed fairness yeah, guys, we talk about the core the, of this. Yeah, we talk about the collateral consequences all the time of incarceration or whatever. We've talked about um, uh, not being able to vote, felony disenfranchisement, yeah. um, which is another vestige of Jim Crow. This is goes all the way back to slavery. Uh, what Chris found in this report also was that even basically in some states, even getting charged with a felony mm. excludes you from participating. That's right. Mm. In other states, a smaller number of states, getting charged with a misdemeanor excludes you. So not even being convicted. Right. You're just it, just having that record, just being having that police contact could exclude you from the jury rolls. And as we know, black Americans did, are disproportionately make up um, the people who are incarcerated in this country or have police contact. So that's another way, along with what Chris mentioned, um, voter rolls, driver licenses and also contact with police limits the number of uh, black Americans that can serve on juries. This is so insidious at the, the way this happens. Um, Cause I don't know if you have anything else. I, I forwarded yeah. on the screen to what needs to yeah. happen. I don't and, know and, if you... and, and to that point, and that's great screen to have open right now. Um, and uh, it's just, I'm sort of obsessed about this thing called peremptory strikes. Yeah. Right. And so what needs to happen is basically this, 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 this uh, mechanism, this peremptory strikes needs to, and and Thurgood Marshall uh, said the same thing. It it it, it doesn't do anything. It, it so basically peremptory strikes. So after prospective jurors who meet the legal the legal requirements for jury service and remain, <laughs> I like how uh, if you air quoted that for the viewers. <laughs> of course, listeners, <laughs> listeners need to know that. Right? Yeah. Um, are they're called qualified jurors, right? So, um, unlike to so to narrow down the final jury that actually hears the case. Prosecutors are given one last chance to get people out, right? Right, and they're called peremptory strikes. 
But unlike challenges for cause, which we spoke about, right? peremptory strikes can be used to remove qualified jurors for, quote, any reason at all, right? And so what the report and the investigation has found that overwhelmingly it's wow. people of color who are, who are the subject of peremptory strikes, and uh, it's, it's just accepted. Wow. So if it, okay. Hey, Chris, uh, somehow a black person snuck through the whole process and is sitting on this jury. We don't want a black person on the jury because there's another black person on trial and that would be terrible. Juries of the peers. No, no, no. We can't have that. Peremptory, they could use a peremptory. Oh, yeah, oh, we could just, well, we could just say no. Well, we got a couple of. Just boom. Use the peremptory strike. Get them. Get, oh, you know. Easy. It's it's, it. her, was, it's horrific. It's, how, it's a I didn't know how bastardization. It it's what a complete was, bastardization of of the uh, of the what what the justice system is supposed to be. What, why was the preempt, right? Of course. What what what? Why was the preemptory strike like? What was the initial? Was it ever like? Did I it don't ever know have, the origins. It doesn't go into the origins. I don't think. But it but it it talks about how Thurgood Marshall, the very the very first African American uh, Supreme Court justice, indeed. Uh, one right off the bat, he looked into that, and um, the the safeguards. There was actually there was some there was a small safeguard they said put in place. I wanna. But is that the three? Is that the three step process? There he is. Sure if, if you're trying, if you're trying to challenge it based on the those strikes that you're talking about, yes, I think it I might think be the something that Marshall yeah, um, criticized. It, but, is this ridiculous three step yeah, process? He said it does nothing actually, anyway. Yeah, to prove that they anyway. were being discriminatory. Yeah, so it's just got to get rid of. I mean, you know, it's a part of the solutions. It's just got to. Right, I right. As as, as a potential fix, they said, "Oh, here's this three step process to prove discrimination." It's the yeah, three step process is yeah. useless. The the process is so, uh, my understanding, so like sort of uh, obscure and sort of like um, all encompassing that you could just basically say yeah. anything, and it, it doesn't look like it's racist. Right. I think in the se- second step, whatever you're trying to prove, which whatever you're trying to say, doesn't even have to be based on fact. It could just be your feeling. There you go. Which is cool. insane. Interesting. Yeah. So, so again, the use of the uh, strikes, the challenges in re- removing jurors from the jury pool for any particular case uh, has been determined, although apparently we did not need a study for this, but we now have one uh, to be mirrored, mired in racism and bias. The foundational yeah. part of our criminal justice system, yeah. the jury of your peers. And again, you know, Manny, to to your point, like the, in the value of reports like this, yes, there's there's street knowledge, and there's yes, and everybody yeah. might know this, but but to hear, I've never heard the word peremptory strikes. Right. Like, well, now I know right. just from just from a day with this report, I know yeah. what I'm gunning for now. Right. You know what I mean? Like I know the, uh, a specific mechanism in this huge fucking huge machine of injustice. Ooh, did you curse? Did you that's, curse? That's, 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 Say a bad word. Ain't happy. Ooh, boy. Don't tell the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> what brings it back to the top? Brings oh, oh, he brought it to the Catholic Church. You know what, Rashad? This is perhaps the highlight of this <laughs> long and painful and torturous night. I give it to you, bro. I give it. You get the Cory Booker <laughs> Award of the Night for bringing it oh, back yeah. around. I, I gotta, love it. Got to shed my su- suit jacket, get up on my feet. <laughs> An apple pie. An apple pie, my desk. 
insiders know what's up. Listen, Chris, thank you for <laughs> for bringing us up. Uh, this is a listen. First of all, I you know I don't get quite in the weeds uh, with this stuff as you guys do. You you you, you gentlemen are the uh, quintessential reporters, investigative journalists uh, that I love and admire so much. Um, but you have piqued my interest, and now I want to read this entire report. This is some fascinating stuff. Uh, it's it's it. There's there's a minute and thirty uh, seconds. Oh, long do we have that you video to, too? I'm gonna play yeah, it. I'm gonna play it. Let's do it. Real quick. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm gonna play it right now. Let's do it. Let's let's go for it. This is worthy uh, to be shown. Let's go. Racial bias in jury selection is a serious problem that undermines the integrity of the legal system. Juries are supposed to accurately represent communities and their diversity. But far too often, Black people and people of color are excluded. Even though over 40% of Americans are people of color, more than 95% of all prosecutors are white. Most judges are white as well. Local courts create lists of people eligible for jury duty. But in most places, those lists underrepresent black and brown people. When people of color are called for jury service, prosecutors and judges sometimes unfairly exclude them. Then black and brown people who overcome these barriers can still be excluded by prosecutors who use peremptory strikes illegally based on race. Prosecutors who unlawfully strike black people from juries don't get fined, sanctioned, or held accountable. The U.S. Supreme Court has said that eliminating racial bias is essential to preserve the public confidence upon which our system of criminal justice depends. That confidence has been shaken. When there is racial bias in the selection of the jury, it's hard to accept the rest of the trial will be fair or that a verdict will be credible. Racial bias in jury selection is illegal. In order to guarantee fair trials for all citizens, states, judges, and prosecutors must eliminate this discriminatory practice for good. I mean, I guess we could have just played that. <laughs> You've been like, all right, mm-hmm. now go there. No, listen, thank you for bringing this to our attention. EJI.org uh, is the spot that is uh, Brian uh, Stevenson. Stevenson, uh, the, the movie Just, just Mercy. Mercy. Just Mercy, my and man, Mike, Michael B. Jordan, right, was in that. Uh, yeah, based on his book. Based on his book, Michael B. Jordan from Newark, New Jersey, Brick City in the House. Even though I'm in Atlanta, I have not left y'all behind. I will represent you all day, every day. Uh, and so, yeah, shouts to uh, uh, Brian Stevenson's organization. EJ, I want to put it on the screen one more time. We have put it in the chat. Um, this amazing uh, study, which will really break down. Now, what's ironic about this whole thing is. Uh, you know, we were talking before the show about the idea of critical race theory and the idea that, you know, uh, there's class. There's someone bi- brought that up. There's this bias baked into the systems. Now, crisis. I know, like. If this report is accurate. Then what we find is, even, let's just say on another planet, it wasn't intentional. They didn't mean to make it unfair. They didn't mean that you wouldn't be equally represented on a jury by a jury of your actual peers. This is the way things happened. Even if the fact that it happens is worthy of discussion and therefore worthy of teaching. It's not to me. I'm a white person. I don't feel, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel guilty. I'm not, Oh, you made me feel guilty about my heritage. No, I've, you've pointed out. We don't want to make you feel ashamed. 
Right. I, I'm not ashamed. I'm, I am, but that's just me personally. <laughs> but the, the, the point is not to make any white person feel, oh, I'm, I'm so ashamed. I'm less of a person. No, it's to point out that for whatever reasons, and there's a very clear delineation of those reasons, that this thing exists. A jury of your peers should be representative of your community, percentage-wise. And if it's not, then there's something wrong with that system. And if it happens to be that it skews in favor or against one segment of the community, that should be looked at. If there was more black people on a jury in a white majority neighborhood community, I guarantee you they'd be looking at it. <laughs> I guarantee yeah. you they'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, yeah. there's something wrong here. So equal representation across the board in every aspect of society. And if that representation is not equal, we have to look into why. And I, I'm not saying critical, that's what critical race theory is about, but that it's so difficult to understand why there would be such objections to looking at something like this, a fundamental aspect of the criminal justice system, the jury, literally the jury of your peers. We hear that. We know that sentiment. We know that, that phraseology. We know what it's supposed to be. And if it's not, then in the interest of justice, we should find out why. So shouts to the Equal Justice Initiative for uh, pointing that out. And uh, shouts to you for letting me preach for a minute. Good stuff. In fact, this is perhaps the highlight of nah, the nah, long nah, nah, nah. and on, painful man. and torturous. It can only be one of those handed what out. What do you this mean? It's a new highlight. Hand, come on, Rashad Beth. You, what is it? What are you, Oprah? You're giving out things to everybody here? You get a Cory Booker and you get a Cory <laughs> Booker. All right. Thank you, Chris, for bringing that up, uh, uh, for, for choosing to include this fascinating study. I, like, literally, I'm not joking. Like, I'm going to dig into this. I hope it's available on Kindle. Um, so let's go to what we like to call uh, our next segment, our last segment for the night. We're combining news beating the past and news beating the future, I believe. So uh, the future and the past. What are we talking about this yeah, week? So there's a lot here. Um, yeah. I know we're oh, already boy. going way over. Way over time. Um, there, there's no time. Y'all, every week y'all do this. Like, we're going to be an hour long. No one, we, they, we never said we're an hour long show. And y'all keep saying it like we're going to be done in an it's hour. long. It's an hour long show. It's always an hour and a half. It's never been an hour. So, well, because, you know, it should be an hour. Why? We need to be more efficient. No, it don't have to be more efficient. We have the, the efficiencies. The, the story Who said takes one as week? long I'm as I'm it I'm takes. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, there's a lot here, and it and it and it demands a hell of a lot more time uh, than will a lot to it tonight. Even, even though you know we're going to take our time a little bit. Sometime we plant the seeds. Uh, um, people watching this have nothing to do with their lives. They will go down the rabbit holes. They will find out the rest of the story. In the uh, words of the late great, the rest of the story. Who is that guy? Radio journalist. This is, this is why it takes an hour, this why it takes an hour and a half. I'll find out. Go ahead. I'm going to call it out in a minute. Well, Go ahead. You know what? That might be, <laughs> that, that actually might be a good time, a, a good little segue here to, to plug our radio friend, Brian Scheibel, uh, over at Post Game Central. Hey, now. <laughs> That's at Post Game Central on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, just an incredible, incredible uh, interviewer, incredible guy. 
helps us a lot. Big fan of the show. And we want to give him a special shout out. So we ask everyone to go check out postgamecentral.com. I, I, I can go for that. Postgamecentral. Uh, so, shout out to Brian Scheibel uh, doing his thing. Uh, yeah, and it's 5,000 followers. What up? And it's Paul Harvey. Legendary radio go. broadcaster Paul Harvey. There this is the rest of the story. I'm I'm dating myself. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. So so with our news beating the past in the future, a couple things here. Number one, today is the anniversary, the four year anniversary of the horrific uh, Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, uh, where more than 200 white supremacists and Nazis and uh, haters of all orientations came, and then um, with their Nazi regalia and the tiki torches and rallies, and then uh, unfortunately. Uh, horrifically, the murder of, of Heather Hare, uh, an anti-protester there. Um, and, you know, I nearly forgot that today was the anniversary till I was collecting links and clips for the show. And, and I came across its mention actually on EJI's Twitter feed. Mm. And how they ended the Twitter message was with the quote, to overcome racial inequality, we must confront our history. And I thought of the meaning of that quote in, in the context of, of how we're always talking about, oh God, you know, we, we're always covering such horrific topics. Right. But to overcome racial inequality, we must confront our history. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just wanted to mention that that's what we're doing here. 100%. Um, I just found that so incredibly uh, powerful. Um, and our next two mentions here, this, I feel never, I've, I never hear this. Um, now this is in the context of Emmett Till. And as much as we can, we're going to mention Emmett Till. We've, we've mentioned him before on the show, we're all, and we're going to mention him a lot in the future as well. Yep. Um, Emmett Till, just a little backstory. Emmett Till um, was a 14-year-old uh, boy who went down uh, to Mississippi uh, to visit his cousin and uncle. He lived in Chicago, and his mother, uh, Mamie, uh, warned him, you know, uh, when you go into the South, you have to be careful, you know, um, don't look a white person in the eye, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, stay away, you know, be on your guard, you know? Well, you know, he whistled, allegedly whistled, um, at, uh, Carolyn Bryant at, in, the, in a, in a grocery shop in money, Mississippi, and was taken by force from his uncle's house, um, at gunpoint and tortured brutally tortured and killed and lynched and his body was put, was thrown into the Tallahatchie river. And, you know, his mother demanded to see her son and, you know, demanded an open casket funeral, which was covered by newspapers all across the country, mostly black newspapers at the beginning, then spread across, spread across the world was critical critical to the civil rights movement, um, his slang, you know, um, and, right. you know, Rosa Parks, you know, invoked Emmett Till on that bus. She said she couldn't get, she wasn't going to move because she thought of Emmett. And even, I'm just getting shivers even now talking about it, even when we were covering George Floyd stuff, you know, uh, Lawrence Ham, longtime activist in Newark, uh, Cornell West, you know, uh, they all mentioned Emmett Till, you know, and his, his spirit, uh, you know, it's, it's, it basically haunts us now and it, and it, and it, 
and it brings these these topics to the to the forefront. But right before Emmett, so uh, about a week before Emmett Till even got on the train to go to the South, uh, a civil rights activist named Lamar Smith was murdered at 10 a.m. in broad daylight in Brookhaven, Mississippi. Remember, this is a week before Emmett Till is even going down there. Right. He was shot dead in cold blood on the crowded courthouse lawn in front of, I think it was like 30, 40 people or something like that. Um, mm. He was a huge uh, activist in voter registration. I have never heard his name before. I mean, maybe other listeners of the show have, maybe they're much more familiar, but right. um, this speaks to the, the sort of climate too that Emmett Till was, was headed down to. Um, but the fact that uh, Lamar Smith was murdered in broad daylight, uh, I think three people were held and uh, no one would ever testify against this. They were like, oh, I, I believe it's still an unsolved, unsolved, unsolved murder down there. Wow. I, I included the link here to the, to the, uh, to the Zinn project that did something on him. But um, I only came across that researching Emmett even more for, for today's show and, and, and why I wanted to bring up. So his birthday was just uh, about a week and a half ago. He would have been 80. His lynching is coming up on August 28th. So that's the past and, and, the, and the future combined there. The Atlantic, which I included a link here, has yep, an incre- incredibly written story um, about Emmett Till and really the lesser known facts of, of what took place. And I just want to give a, a, quick, a quick synopsis. I, I encourage everyone to read that story it's just it, it's beautifully when you listen we, we're in journalism and, and you know and, and uh you know lovers of of the written language you read this it's it, this guy knows how to write right mm-hmm. um he's apparently a, i looked into him a little bit he's a he's a long-time writer at espn but he lives in mississippi and so i think that you when you you know you, you take that passion and you sort of translate it into the into the syllables but he focuses on this barn right and it is the barn this oft ignored uh, critical piece of Emmett Till's story. It is the barn where uh, Roy Bryant and uh, J.W. Millen, uh, the, the half brothers, were the, they're the ones that took him. And, and along with, as the story says, there were seven people in that truck. So that's another whole thing we could talk about another time. But, but the barn is where Emmett Till was, was taken. It is where he was tortured for a long, long, long time mm-hmm. and is where he was shot in the head. I mean, is where he was, was, was murdered. Right. Um, and that barn is still there. That's crazy. Right? And that barn is still there. And there's efforts now to preserve that land, get that barn, uh, memorialize it, maybe turn it into an education center or museum. So that you never hear about the born though. A couple other things in the story you never hear about is what I had just said as well is it's always been my belief and others out there. There's an incredible filmmaker. <laughs> hopefully we'll get on the show at some point. Um, who's, who's really the one who broke a lot of this stuff, but there were so many more people involved in Emmett Till slaying um, than is really commonly reported. Now the two people who were, who were charged and, uh, went before a jury, an all-white jury, um, as I mentioned, Bryant and Millam, right. were acquitted. And then a year or two later, they got 1000 or $2,000. Someone paid them to tell the full story. And, and so because double jeopardy, 
where you can't be convicted of the same crime in the same jurisdiction um, twice. Uh, and he was, they were acquitted. They, they, they confessed and it was printed in a magazine. You believe this? So they were walking around. Right. Uh, you know, Having confessed professed publicly. murders, right. professed right. murders. Now, but, but this story goes deep. You know, he, he tracks down, there was an FBI reinvestigation a couple, about a decade ago, I believe. He tracks down a lead investigator and, and, you know, he names names and, you know, there, uh, Willie Reed, Willie Reed is, is a fascinating, uh, integral part of this whole story that never gets, his name rarely gets mentioned. He, he was, I believe, a teenager when he was walking by that barn that morning and he heard the screams. He saw mm. the truck pull in. He mm. says there were four white dudes, white men sitting in the caboose and three African Americans in the back with Emmett Till. So that's mm. seven people. FBI finds out that the 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 house you you hear people scream in Mississippi. He points out there's no air conditioners on these on some of these places. The sound travels. Mm. Many more people knew what was going on. Um, and Carolyn Bryant is still alive. The woman that Emmett Till allegedly whistled that right uh, in that in that grocery store. She is still alive. She's in her 80s. She is still alive. And Moses Wright. Uh, Emmett's uncle, when they took him that night, he overheard. And so did, I believe, his cousin overheard a woman's voice in a car. So, yeah, that's him. So, you know, Carolyn Bryant is still out there free. What I said before, uh, I was under the impression some people probably would as well be uh, that that she recanted her story recently. That's not exactly what happened. Please explain. Yeah. Yeah, So, so, so I forget the author. Incredible. I read most of the book, The Blood of Emmett Till is a book that everyone should read. And the author was interviewing Carolyn Bryan, I believe it was in 2005, 2006. And during the interview, apparently she sort of confessed, is my understanding. Now, I don't know all that, you know, the complete, right. she, it was enough to get the FBI back involved. Mm. And they actually impaneled a grand jury, but they could not charge. But to the and grand so jury is full of white people going back to our other well, story. There tonight. we go. Brings <laughs> it back to the, brings it back to the, to the, right. so, so uh, there's so much more to it's, this. I mean, yeah. hopefully, you know, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, obviously look, we want to be down there. We want to go down there. Um, there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. There's a lot of people that still need to be held accountable. And, um, you know, Emmett Till, I believe b- both of his uh, alleged killers are dead at this point. Is that true? The, uh, yes, Roy Bryant and and Milam are are both uh, deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much still to this. Uh, yeah, it's an I, amazing story. You know, people have a cursory knowledge. I think of of Emmett Till. Uh, you know, obviously uh, <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> um, you know, brought his name to the forefront of pop culture some years ago. Uh, for those who hadn't been previously, well, Dave uh, Chappelle too. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Um, uh, and you know about the you know the open casket, the horrific you know uh, imagery, uh, the fact that it did kind of uh, it was very influential for the civil rights movement. Um, but it's a hell of a story, and there's just so many twists and turns. Um. And it's worth really understanding because it gets to the core of a lot of things that are wrong today, to this day, with the criminal justice system. The fact that these folks can confess, just like you said, confess. And then, but yeah, you can't catch me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, 
the fact that this whole thing was predicated over a, a, a lie, a possible lie. The fact that there was a jury that acquitted these folk. Uh, the fact that no one was ever held accountable. Um, it brings up so many issues in one case. You know what I mean? That's uh, that's and, and at the wrong. heart of it, you have a 14 year old child, right? Who was right. tortured, murdered, and lynched, and no yeah. one has ever been held accountable for it. Yeah. Well, just you know, it's a uh, it's a metaphor for a lot of things, isn't it, bro? You know. Well, thank you once again. His name was Emmett Till in the Atlantic. We shared the link. Uh, shouts to Kitty Bradshaw on the check-in, by the way. Um, shouts to everyone uh, tuned in and turned up with us as we uh, bring you This Week in Social Justice. That was our news meeting, the past and future kind of combined, uh, remembering, uh, obviously, the lives uh, and the incidents that have uh, you know affected us during This Week in History uh, and bringing more information to light uh, that you should follow up on. What was the name of the book? The Blood of Emmett Hill? Yep. All right. Um, I got to read that now, Chris. I got to read the yeah. EJI report that you pointed out earlier. Don't forget that the, the IPCC report is about 4,000 something pages. Yeah, that's light work. I could do that um, okay. while, I, while I'm on a treadmill. I'll just I'll do that. I can't be on a treadmill. I pulled my hamstring. What's happening down here in Georgia? It's killing me. Come home. Just, just come home. Um, between palmetto bugs. And hamstring pulls. I don't know what I've done to myself. Anyway, that about wraps it up uh, for this week in social justice uh, for August 11th, uh, 2021. Once again, shout out to hip hop, music and culture. Happy birthday, hip hop. I understand not everybody uh, uh, ascribes, prescribes to this date as but, you know, it's universally kind of, uh, you know, Salute uh, to uh, today in hip hop. Shouts to, of course, um, former Suffolk County DA Spoda, uh, cool. and uh, and shouts to um, yeah uh, no, no shouts yeah they give him give him shouts no shouts um, no shout but the but the sex tapes the that's there were the, other things in that duffel no, bag we discussed toys them. the sex tapes the, though the toys the toys sex toys them DAs wow. get it on wow. I want to. Um, I just want to give two last quick shout outs. If you have, well, no, three, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you tuned in late. Go back to the beginning. Rewind. Uh, yeah, rewind. Once, once more yeah. with uh, with Brian Scheibel. Yes, everybody, hundred uh, percent. At uh, and we'll share that link. We shared it in this link right over here. There you go. The well, Post Game Central. There it is. There it is. Post Game Central. Top of it. Um, I got to give a, a, a shout out to Mori Creative Studios. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Makes this all possible. Right. Home base. If you need marketing for your company. And uh, I got to give one last big shout I never give shout outs to you guys. I give one last big shout out to my little bro, Big Japes, because I was really stressed out earlier today. And you know what? He came through. Big Japes. Right. Big Japes. Thank you, man. Shout outs are great. Uh, I will give a shout out to uh, Baby Girl Faces. Uh, I will give a shout out to um, Mrs. Faces. And I will give a shout out to uh, me, because I'm awesome. Rashad, any shout outs? <laughs> No, I mean, I guess I could if I shout out anybody today. It'd be Campbell Walker coming home. <laughs> All right. There you go. This week in Social Justice, my name is Manny Faces. On behalf of Chris Tawarski, Rashid Mian, uh, and the entire More Creative Studios and Newsbeat teams, uh, we thank you for tuning in, watching us uh, do this uh, crazy thing. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 8 p.m., bringing you more news from the world of social justice. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at US Newsbeat on Instagram at US Newsbeat, uh, on Twitch at 
I guess US Newsbeat also there. Um, YouTube, I don't know. I don't think we're set up there, right? But whatever. Uh, and of course, if you're watching, please do subscribe to Newsbeat, the podcast. These uh, episodes do appear on the feed, but our full episodes, our award-winning episodes, are deep dive into uh, topics and issues of social justice importance and very often include, uh, well, they always include music, and they very often include uh, lyrical contributions from ind- brilliant in- independent hip-hop artists. Uh, it's like Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. We are the recipients of the 2021 Journalism podcast of the year from the new york press club which means we're better than the new york times so all i gotta say i mean if you that means anything to you you should be checking us out on the podcast tip uh real little real inside baseball anyone who listens to this show and follows the newsbeat podcast we are combining them into the podcast feed but that may change and this show may live on its own as its own thing so pay attention to that uh, but do check out the feed and check out our past episodes. Uh, matter of fact, the award-winning episode, uh, Say Her Name, confronting 400 years of uh, state violence against black women, uh, will be re-released on this feed very shortly. Uh, you can go back and find it if you'd like, uh, but we're going to re-release it and put it back out. Uh, so look out for that and, and some brand new original episodes coming out very soon. Uh, once again, I'm Manny Faces, my, my mans, my mellows. Thank you for joining me. We'll be back next week. Everyone, uh, peace and love.